Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. What's up? Who's excited for church today? Come on. I don't know about you, but I am exhausted with this 95 degree temperature in here, feeling like, yeah, I, I, I'm not excited to be sweating anymore in church, and I'm so pumped to be back in an air-conditioned, air-conditioned room, and then right after church, you can go to brunch. You don't have to go to bed after church anymore. Uh, for those of you who are new, my name is Ali, my beautiful wife and I, we started Center Set three years ago with a dream. We call it our God dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could come and, ex- and grow in their faith, but because c- in a month from now, on September 5th, I'm warning you guys, we're, we're starting 21 days of prayer and fasting. Get ready. Get your meals in now, because we're going to be fasting and praying as a church. Why? Because every year, September is vision month for us. It's the word that God gives us for the next year. Last year, the word was, the promise still stands. And he gave us that word when we were dark in COVID. It was like, is this church going to survive? We had, we had a third of our church move away. We had a third not want to come to this building. And God gave a word, and he encouraged us before we knew we were going to win the storm. And God has a fresh word for next year. And I don't want you to miss out on that. So how do you prepare your heart for that? It's pray and fast with us for 21 days from the 5th of September to the 26th of September. Uh, we are concluding a collection of talks called You Asked For It. And for the last five weeks, I've been answering questions from you guys. So if you guys don't like the subjects, blame yourself because they come from you. And, and five weeks ago, the question was, well, how do I hear God's voice, Pastor Riley? And Sarah did a great job. Can we give her a hand? Amazing. Following week, probably the number one or number two most asked question was why are women allowed to teach and preach? And I, I answered that question the best I could. I, I'm even getting comments from people outside the country, like loving that sermon. So thank you guys for asking that question. Week three was Pastor Lee, our executive pastor, asking the question, what do I do when I feel like quitting? And, uh, and then week four was I preached on the Holy Ghost and why we are a charismatic, spirit-filled church. And last week was probably the hardest emotionally sermon I had to prepare for is what about LGBT, Pastor Ali? Is the church anti-homosexual? And I did the best I could to navigate that. I got more positive feedback from that sermon than probably any other sermon I've preached in the last three months. So thank you. I was very weary of preaching that sermon, but I knew it needed to be preached. And then today, we're concluding, and that question is this, and I love it. This is raw. It says, help, pastor. Help. I got family drama. How do I forgive? How do I fix it? And I just got to warn you, this is going to be a heavy sermon, and I'm coming for you. But who's, in, who's ready to be encouraged? Who's ready to be challenged? A louder amen. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Mark chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start at verse 20. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry, it's on the screen. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, I want to pause. Some of you have forgotten that Jesus had a family. I know Mary was a, a virgin and had Jesus outside of wedlock, and he was born of a virgin, but listen, Jesus' mom did not stay a virgin. All the men said, amen. He had stepbrothers and stepsisters, and he even had a stepdad. And this is going to be even more encouraging for you. His family was just as jacked up as your family. Here he is ministering. Here he is teaching. Here he is setting the captives free, and his family is there not to throw a party, not to celebrate him. I know your parents never supported you in your dreams. I know they never had your back, but you're not alone in that journey. 
Jesus' own family, his own mom and his own brothers did not support him. They're here. Why, Pastor Ali? The text says, to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. He's cray-cray. He was told not to drop the dranta, and he did it anyways. They think he's crazy. And then Jesus, it gets even better. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called on them. Called on them means he's, he's calling over his family. He's calling over the Pharisees. And he wants to address them both. And you gotta, you got to see the, the tension in what Jesus is saying. This is crazy. I love this. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. I can just imagine Jesus speaking to his, par- his disciples and his mom's on the side. And he's looking at his mom and his, just giving them side eye. Like, he's, he's talking to them, but he's really talking to them. Look what he says. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If a family is divided, that family can't stand. I, I think it's not by accident that Jesus is talking about demons, and he's talking about family in the same sentence. He's not saying your family's demons. I know some of you went there. It's not that. That the two greatest obstacles, the two greatest barriers to spiritual walk are the enemy outside and the family within. Satan knows if he can't get you to leave Jesus, he'll get you to leave your family. I can't tell you how many people I've discipled in this church, counseled them, say, Pastor my boss hates me. He's so mean to me. He doesn't promote me. He puts more and more work on my back. We don't get along. I just never thought I'd get along that way with my sister. We fight like the way I do with my boss. Pastor Ali, my my family told me never to be with someone abusive. What do I do now that I'm married to that person? Pastor Ali, I've had obstacles in my life, challenges. Now the two greatest challenges in my life are the two little demons I'm raising. Come on. Pastor Ali, when when I first became a Christian, I had this dream to get married, raise a godly family. I didn't know that when I was asking God for a marriage, I was also asking for a war. So you got to understand, Jesus is not just a tempter. He's not just a liar. He's not just a deceiver. He will tempt you away from the things of God. And the same way, if I were to go fishing, I don't put pizza on the fish hook. Fish don't want pizza. They want what what they want, which is bait or worms. In the same way, Satan is going to put something on a hook that wants to get you out the game. And the game is not to get you to sin. It's not about weed. It's not about porn. It's not about all those other things. The goal of Satan is to get you away from Jesus. And if he can't get you away from Jesus, he'll separate you from your family. See, some of you don't realize this, but the first fight in the Bible, the first war, is not between nation and nation. The first battle is not between soldier and soldier. The first fight in the Bible is between husband and wife. (laughs) It's not recorded, but I promise you, I'm going to show it to you. It's there. It's between between Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, they're in the perfect presence of God, and then they're deceived. They sit against God, and God says, you guys got to move out. And he kicks them out the garden. In chapter 4, they get a one-bedroom apartment. They start a family, right? What happens between chapter 3 and chapter 4? The Bible is silent, but I promise you there's conflict. I want to make the Bible come alive this morning. And I'm going to play out some of the things that they were probably talking about. Imagine they're walking outside the garden, lamenting. Man, I, I missed the garden, Eve. It was awesome in there. I could have fruit whenever I wanted. You were naked all the time. Life was amazing. And then she's like, I know, streaming was free, we could borrow God's Wi-Fi, it was amazing, right? We didn't have to pay for ourselves. And Adam's like, honey, are you hungry? 
She's like, yes, I, I thought you would be upset with me after all I did. I, I thought you, you're so considerate. Thank you for thinking of me. Of course I'm hungry. And she's like, what do you want to eat, Adam? She's like, I don't know. How about some fruit? She's like, why do you got to go there? And he's like, why not? You're good at finding fruit. And then a fight happened. And so often we don't realize that conflict between Adam and Eve, they passed it on to their children. How do I know? Because Adam and Eve's children, that was the first murder in the Bible. Cain killed Abel. Why did, where did they learn to fight like that? Where did they learn the conflict like that? They saw it from their parents. It's not recorded, but it's there because Satan knows. Listen, if he, if he can't get you away from Jesus, he wants to get you away from your family. See, family feud is not a TV show. It's spiritual warfare 101. So this question is steeped in desperation. It's steeped in, God, Pastor Ali, help me. I don't get along with my dad. I, I don't get along with my siblings. My, my wife and I, we don't even talk anymore. Pastor Allie, my, my cousin, we had this one day back in the day. We, we, now we only see each other on Christmas. He doesn't call me. I don't call him. What do we do? That's what this question's about. That's the plan of the enemy. My hope is to give you three steps, three steps that will help you in all of your relationships. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Step number one is how do, I, how do, how do you forgive? How do you forgive? Sometimes the best way to teach you how to forgive is to define what forgiveness is not. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. And then Peter came to Jesus and asked. Let me give you the context. Jesus has spent the whole chapter 18 teaching about unforgiveness. And then Peter comes up to him and tries to look good in front of the other disciples. And he asks the question. Look what he says. He says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, you and I don't understand what he's talking about because we don't understand the culture. In Jewish culture, a rabbi would teach you that if someone sins against you three times, cut them. You unfollow on Instagram, you, you mute them, you block them, you're done with them. That was the teaching of the day. So what Peter's saying, listen, he's saying, I'm more than double the, the, with all the other rabbis. Jesus, praise me for how much love I have. Jesus, make, tell, tell all the other disciples, I'm the most loving disciple. And look what Jesus says. I tell you not seven times. But 77 times. Some translations say 70 times 7. And this is not a math problem, by the way. What he's implying is infinity. Number one, you got to write this down. Forgiveness is not, it's okay. It's not saying that it's okay. So many of you are afraid of saying, I forgive you, because you think you're acknowledging what they did was okay, and it's not. I had to learn this the hard way raising two little girls. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And the five-year-old, this, this, like, loving, this gentle spirit. The two-year-old is bam, bam in female body, right? She's, she's two, but she's got the body of a three-year-old, and she's strong, and she's, she kind of bullies her older sister, and she doesn't know how to ask. She doesn't, she doesn't know how to say please. She just pushes you over and takes the gift and the, the toy and walks away. We have to teach our children, no, 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 no. Hands are for helping, not for hurting. And we'll have to like be the referees. We'll pull them together, and I'm like, Zoe, and she's like, looks down because she knows she did something wrong. I'm like, say sorry to your older sister. And she usually looks down and goes, I'm sorry. And then my five-year-old says, it's okay. I forgive you. And my wife, she's so good theologically. She says, no. Sophie, don't say it's okay. Say it's not okay, but I forgive you. Because it's not okay what they did to you. It's not okay what they said to you. It's not okay how they hurt you. It's not okay. When you are saying I forgive you, you are not saying it's okay. Because what they did was wrong. What you're doing is you're releasing them. So often people, they grew up saying, it's okay, it's okay. Every time they say, I apologize. And what you're really doing, you don't know, realize this, you're taking shared issues and you're making it your issue. You're taking a shared problem and now you're making it your problem. 
What, what took two people, you're now saying, it only took me. It's all my fault. Every time you say, it's okay, I forgive you, you're putting all the blame on yourself. And some of you, you, this is the way you were raised, and you'll walk down the street, and you're on your side of the street, and someone will bump you, and you'll say, I'm sorry, because you always assume it's your fault. Let me release you. It is not always your fault. It takes two to have conflict. So it takes two to apologize. It's, if, when you say, I'm sorry, you're not saying it's okay. Number two, you're not saying, don't do that again. Forgiveness is not saying, don't do it again. Some of you are like holding forgiveness like a, like a, like a gift card. I'll give it to you if you don't do it again. And you're like dangling it. That's exactly what Peter's doing. He's like, I want to forgive Jesus, but how many times do I have to do this? How many times do I have to let my brother or my sister sit against me? I love that Peter says that it's sin because it's not okay. But he's asking like, how many times do I have to allow this brother to hurt me? How many times do I have to forgive? He's basically asking two questions and Jesus answers both with one answer. Not seven times. But 77 times. And all the math nerds are like, ha, 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 497. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying infinity. See, if you, there's an issue with God that you don't understand. If you want mercy for your mistakes, but justice for someone else, you don't get the gospel. Because every day Jesus told us in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. So the moment you want to stop forgiving is, is implying the moment that you become perfect. And if you're not perfect, that means every day you need to extend the grace that you want from God. That's why you forgive every day. Because God does it for you. It's not, don't do it again. It's something different than that. You got to understand that forgiveness is also not this third one. It's, it's not passive aggressive punishment. Passive aggressive. I, I almost removed this one from the, the list because I'm like, more than, more than half the room is not this. But I know people like me who are struggling, passive aggressive people. I need to speak to all of them. Make them butt, butt cheeks clench in the name of Jesus. Get them all uncomfortable. L- let them repent. You know the way my wife knows when I'm angry? She goes, Allie, are you angry? I go, No. And my body language doesn't match what I'm saying. She goes, because you look angry. I'm, I'm not. And the way she knows for sure is when she says, I'm sorry. And I go, it's okay. And I roll my eyes and I look away. Because <laughs> I'm being passive aggressive. I'm saying, I forgive you, but I really don't. I'm going to hold it against you. And a few days later, I'm going to bring it up. Remember when you did that? That's what being passive aggressive is. You're not really forgiving them. You're just holding that offense, waiting to use it against them because you want punishment. Listen, write this down. Punishing another person's punishment will never lead to your healing. The only time in history punishing someone else led to, led to your healing is in Isaiah 61. By his stripes, we are forgiven. By his wounds, we are healed. God punished Jesus. God put the wrath of God on the Son of God so that the sons of God could be forgiven. His, his brokenness led to our healing. That's the only time. So when you're punishing someone, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping it hurts the other person. It hurts you. Do you know what forgiveness is? Let me define, I just define what it's not. Let me tell you what it is. Forgiveness is releasing the debt. It's a release of debt. Forgiveness is mentioned every time in the New Testament as an accounting term. In, in our culture, when, when you can't pay a loan, you know what they call it? Loan forgiveness. Show, I need, I need audience participation, show of hands, if you've ever loaned a friend a lot of money. Put up higher, come on now. Leave it up, leave it up. Show of hands, if you ever loaned a friend some money and they didn't pay you back. Leave it up, okay? Don't watch this part. You loaned a friend some money, 
They didn't pay it back, and then you hung out with them, and they didn't even talk about it. <laughs> right? And let, me, let me define what unforgiveness is, right? I, went to, I, I loaned a friend like two grand one time, like 1,500 bucks, and we go out to dinner. I'm like, yes, he's going to finally pay me back. We go to a nice restaurant. I'm like, oh, he's going to butter me up because he took so long to pay me back. He's having the, the salad, the breadsticks, the steak. And then he looks at me and goes, you want dessert? I'm like, what? I'll tell you what I do want. But I didn't say anything because I'm passive aggressive. I just set it all inside. I want my money. Show me the money. But he didn't. That's what being unforgiving looks like. That's what it is. I mean, you're holding a debt against someone. And the whole point of forgiveness is that someone else is paying the debt. See, that friend of mine that owed me 1500 bucks, he, could ne- he never paid me back. But you know who did? Jesus. That's the whole point of biblical forgiveness. No matter what that person does to you, no matter how much they've harmed you, Jesus has stood in the gap and said, I'll pay their debt. Ephesians 4, verse 32 says this. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. See, anytime you meet a Christian who, hasn't, who has unforgiveness and bitterness in the heart, you're probably not even meeting a Christian. Because why? Because forgiven people forgive people. Because it's impossible to have your debt canceled and then not cancel someone else's debt. If you go to 10 Christians and say, whose sins did Jesus die on the cross for? Whose sins did he pay for on the cross? Most people say, my sin. When we should say, our sin. Because it's not just when I sinned against God that God is paying for that penalty, paying that sin, but it's also their sin against mine. That's what most people don't realize. That when, when I want to collect payment from my friend, Jesus is the one standing in the gap saying, I'll pay it. And he didn't just kind of pay it. He didn't just cancel that. Jesus overpaid on the debt. When that pay, friend owed me 1500 bucks, God paid down $5 trillion. Because he's the priceless, matchless son of God. He's the most valuable thing in the universe. And God's saying, no matter how often, no matter how much they sin against you, no matter how big the sin is, no matter what they do, I'm going to forgive all of that what they've done. My payment for sin will be so large, you will never have a day where you don't have a reason to forgive. You keep coming back to the cross. You keep coming back. That's why number three, forgiveness is a process. It comes out of the heart. You will never feel like forgiving. Never. You feel like murder sometimes. feel like praying diarrhea for them sometimes. You pray like revenge, and that's why forgiveness is a choice. It's an act of the will, not an emotion that you feel. You will almost never feel like forgiving that person. But when you want to collect, you're really trying to collect on a debt that's already been paid. And so, people, so often people don't realize that they live with unforgiveness because that person is out of sight, out of mind. You know how you know you're walking in total forgiveness? When that person falls on their face, on like social media, you, you, don't, you don't do this, yeah, underneath your breath. You cheer them on. Because the Romans 2 says, verse, Romans 12 verse 2 says, you, you, you rejoice with those who rejoice, and you mourn with those who mourn. That's the heart of God. That on the cross, God was saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. For they know not what they do. That's question number one, how do I forgive? Question number two is, how do I fix it? How do I fix it? What do you do when you forgive a friend and then you ain't cool anymore? You ain't tight. 
It's easy to do with someone you don't live, but what do you do when you're not tight with your spouse anymore? What do you do when you're not tight with your mom anymore? How do you fix that? And you got to understand this. Forgiveness is mentioned 95 times in the New Testament. But there's another word that will help you forget, fix it. And it's only mentioned five times in the Scriptures. It's this word reconciliation. Write this word down. Reconciliation. Give me, let me give you two caveats of reconciliation. Number one, reconciliation, you got to forgive it before you fix it. So many people, what they, you know what they try to do? They try to just live in the brokenness and fix it, and then we'll go, oh, we'll deal with it later. I, have, I know so many siblings in this church, and they don't call one another. They don't talk to one another. They don't hang out with one another. They go, I'll see you at Christmas, though, on Thanksgiving. Because what they're doing is saying, we're going to try to fix it before we forgive it, and it never works. The spouses do this. They, they, they don't get, have conflict. They don't get along. They, they fight all the time. They want to get divorced. and say, we'll stay together for the kids. And then we'll fix it. Then we'll dress it. What you're doing is you're trying to fix it before you forgive it, and it never works. See, the thing you need to understand about forgiveness or reconciliation is that it's different than forgiveness. Forgiveness always needs to happen. And it doesn't depend on anyone other than you. Forgiveness, though, requires two. And this is where some of you, this is going to be very hard to hear this. There are some people in your life you will never reconcile with because they're never going to apologize. Some of the people in your life that have hurt you the most, they're no longer alive. So there will always be this reconciliation that will never happen. How was church today? It sucked. <laughs> right? And then we're never going to heal that wound. That's okay. I'm just going to be honest with you. Reconciliation takes two people. When my wife and I, when we sold our home in 2016, August, actually August 17th was the four-year anniversary. On Tuesday was four years ago, we sold our home in Sunnyvale and we moved to San Jose. Because we moved to San Jose because God gave us this burden to reach the Santana Road community. Is it just me or is it really hot in here all of a sudden? <laughs> Lord, send a wind in here. So we sold our home, and I got to tell you, that home I bought in Sunnyvale was a hoop-de-hoop ghetto. If you look up the Webster's Dictionary ghetto, the picture of my house would be in that, that I'm, I'm not even lying. The bathroom, the wall of the shower had a hole in the wall, and all, there's all this mold. The other bathroom was so bad, we had a demo because it was un, hazardous to your health. I had a friend of mine who was in the carpet cleaning industry for 25 years. When he came to my house, he said, Ali, I'm not even lying. There was stuff that came out of that carpet I have never seen in 25 years. That was the house I lived in. And the garage door, it never worked. I mean, you could like lift it up, but the, the, the motor never worked. And the new garage doors, they're so light. They're like fiberglass. You just like lift it up with your pinky. The ones that were like 30 years old, they're like steel. They're like 300 pounds. Remember the first time I lifted up, I like, like, I was like dead lifting. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then I dropped it and the thing, and it, dent, it bent a little bit. And then every time I opened it after that, it bent a little bit more and then a little bit more to the point where I couldn't do it by myself. I needed to like lift it while someone, because it was like, it was breaking on the inside, like caving in. So someone had to like push it up while we're lifting it up. Imagine, I just got married, newlywed. And I'm trying to do this by myself because we're having a garage sale and Pastor Yaz is in the house. And I'm trying to be the Hulk, you know. Listen to me, keep your head down, trying to push this garage door up. And I'm dying. And I'm screaming for Pastor Yaz. I'm like, Pastor Yaz! I didn't call it Pastor Yaz. Yeah, babe! You ever seen those garage doors with the red tag? That's the emergency brake, by the way. So either I drop it, or I sprint and try to pull it, or I call for Pastor Yaz. So imagine this picture. I'm this thing is like going to crush me. And I'm screaming for Pastor Yaz to come. Babe! 
Lord, please. Let me show you a picture. I, I didn't obviously have a picture of that day, but this is kind of what it looks like. That dude is holding up the garage door, and then that girl's pulling the red cord. That's what reconciliation looks like. Two people working on the same problem. You can't do it by yourself. You can't say, I forgive you. We're tight. Both parties need to be there because it's too heavy for one person to do. It's not designed for one person. You need both. And some of you, I'm being honest to you, you're holding the garage door of your family. You're the older son. You're the one who always helps. You always want the family to get along. And you're trying to carry the weight of your family. And you can't. And it's going to crush you. And let me prophesy over your marriage, over your family, in the great words of the theologian Elsa from Arendelle, let it go. <laughs> let it go. That's a word from God for some of you. You are not a savior. You're a jacked up Christian like everybody else, a sinner who needs grace. You're not built to hold the weight of your family. Only Jesus can do that. Let me actually show you that Jesus, he doesn't actually force anyone to reconcile. First, Second Corinthians chapter 5 says this. All of this is from God who reconciled us, quote, past tense, to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This, this verse is crazy because it talks about past tense reconciliation and present tense reconciliation. One, in one sense, it's happened. In one sense, it's happening. Which means the reason you and I are in this room is not because we're good. It's not because we love God. It's because God loved us. Amen? Anybody grateful for Jesus coming after us? He initiated it. He pursued. He came after us. And he did all the work for reconciliation. Which means in your family, that burden falls on you. You call your mom. You call your brother. You initiate the way that Jesus initiated with you. Because that burden falls on you because God did it to you. But it's also present. It's also the ministry of reconciliation. Which means it hasn't happened. Which means Jesus is the only one who has the strength to carry the garage door of sin. He's the only one who made a way. He died on a cross for our sins. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But isn't it interesting? God doesn't force anyone to become a Christian. He doesn't force you to reconcile. Some of you, you go past God. You force your family to reconcile when they're not ready. And you're trying to do something even God doesn't do. And when you're holding that door, say, come, come. That's what I was doing with Pastor Yaz. I'm like, babe, come. What if she had injured her back? What if she ran to the garage and tried to pull the cord and re-injured? That's what some of you are doing. You're causing more pain to the person who's not ready yet to reconcile. That's what you don't understand. You cannot force it. Only life can. Only life can. One day I'm going to drop that garage door, and there's going to be a sofa couch in the garage that Pastor Yasmin wants to come out. It won't fit through the garage door through the house, so it has to go through the garage door. She's like, hey, I want that sofa. And on that day, when she wants something, when life has rained on her, then we come together. See, some of you are carrying a burden that God won't even do. But what do I do, Pastor Ali, if I've forgiven the person and they haven't reconciled with me? I'm so thankful that you asked. It's question number three. How do we move forward? How do we move forward? And this one, this one is, this one's going to set some of you free. Step one is, I would recommend a book called Total Forgiveness by R.T. Kendall. This one, number three, is by a man named Henry Cloud. It's really around this concept called boundaries. Someone say boundaries. 
What do you do when you forgive and that person won't reconcile? What do you do when you loan $1,000 out to a friend and they don't pay you back and you've forgiven them, you love them, you initiate reconciliation, but they don't want it? How do you move forward so they don't keep hurting you? Boundaries. Boundaries. I want to show you a picture that it was graphically designed by one of the best graphic designers in the country. Look at this. I need to describe this by a picture. This is a, it's a joke, by the way. No one laughed. This was done by me. Imagine that square, which is not really a square. It's like, is your property. It's your life. You own the deed to that thing. That's under your jurisdiction. The other box is your friend, your spouse, your, your neighbor, someone else. That's under their jurisdiction. If they yell at you, if they're disrespectful, you, you, their attitude doesn't control you. That's called the whole point of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. That means I'm in control of my attitude. I'm in control of my, 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 my attitude, my, my condition, my heart, my, my tone, my yelling, all of that. You yelling doesn't change me. If you want to change paint your house purple, I can paint my house white. And the whole idea of boundaries is that what you do with your life should not affect mine. You own your stuff and I own mine. But the problem is life happens. And sometimes, go to the next slide, there's a tree. It's a tree, by the way, if you couldn't tell. And a branch falls. The storms of life come. And now their junk falls on your life. What happens when you step on someone else's property? What's that called? Trespassing. Jesus addresses that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Look what it says. For if you forgive others there, what's that word, church? Trespass. Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Here's the point, biblically speaking, of trespassing. Trespassing is when you are now paying for the mistakes of someone else. They're, they don't live life right, now they're dumping their problems on you. They can't money, manage money right, so now they're borrowing money from you. They can't keep sober, so now they're leaning on you to take care of them. This is the dad who, can't, who doesn't do finances. This is the sibling who always has an emergency. This is the, 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 the cousin who always has drama and needs a place to stay. And some of you, what you've tried to do is control them. You ignore them. And what you need to do, biblically speaking, is this thing called boundaries. Someone say boundaries. Go to this third picture. That yellow line, that's a 3D rendering of a fence. You can't tell, but you need to look at it with the spiritual eyes. That is not a wall. That's an orange picket fence. And there's a difference between a wall and a fence. A wall keeps people out. A fence says, if you're going to come in, it's going to be under my rules. Grandma, I love you but you are no longer allowed to give my kids gum, gummy bears, and ice cream. In the name of Jesus. Dad, I love you, but I can't keep paying for your mistakes. Mom, this is my husband. He's priority in my life. I know we went to high school together. I know we played football together. We went to college. We've been together for 10 years. But bro, I can't give you that money. My family comes first. Boundaries are healthy. Because what you're saying is, I can't pay for, for your mistakes with my life. I, I, I can't take care of my kids, my wife, my family, and yours. You have your own property. Jesus wants me to take care of my property. Your problem is not my problem. And boundaries are a way not to keep people out, but to keep their problems out. 
because you weren't built to carry someone else's problems. Only Jesus can do that. You gotta write this down. I'm responsible to you. I'm not responsible for you. I'm responsible to love you, to communicate, to serve you, to love you. I am not responsible to carry you. Why? Because number one, you need to write this down. I need to protect me. Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart above all else. It does not say guard your friend's heart above all else. So while when you're in an airplane, the mask falls down. They say in an emergency, what do you first do? You put the mask over yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of the person next to you. Some of you are trying to take care of family and friends before you take care of yourself. That's why both of you are drowning. Because you don't have boundaries. Jesus, he had 72 disciples. Did you know that? Of the 72, he picked 12. That would be his leaders. Why? Because he had boundaries. He had rules. Who is a leader and who is not? And of the 12, he chose three. That would be his closest, most intimate friends. You need to protect you. Some of you have not been. But it doesn't stop there. Second point is this. I need to protect me. And I want a relationship with you. That's the key. You're not building up a wall because you're trying to expel your dad forever. You're putting up a wall so that his life that's crumbling won't tear down yours too. You're not putting up a wall because you're trying to keep your husband out. You're putting up a wall so the marriage stays healthy. It's not a sign saying you want divorce. It's a sign saying this is unhealthy. We need boundaries. And of these three steps, I need to tell you, forgiveness, reconciliation, and boundaries, the hardest is always forgiveness. Every time you read about unforgiveness in the New Testament, immediately following the scriptures, which are all God-breathed, talk about the demonic. Unforgiveness is a door to the demonic. That's why Family Feud is not a TV show. Spiritual Warfare 101. You need to realize Satan's number one goal is to either pull you away from Jesus or pull you away from your parents and your siblings. Some of you, you walked in with invisible luggage and you spend your whole life and only Jesus sees it. You carry the pain of what your dad said to you. You carry the pain of what people in high school said to you. You carry the pain of what a friend when they stabbed you in the back. You carry the pain of that spouse who left you when they said they never would. No one sees it, but God does. Today's the day you're going to put that luggage down in the name of Jesus. And you're going to walk out lighter. You're going to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray for you. With every eye closed and every head bowed, Holy Spirit, would you come? I believe, God, that as I was speaking, as I was preaching your word, you were placing people on people's hearts. A family member, a brother, a sister. And they remember that day when they did, when they said, and they relive that day over and over again. And the pain becomes greater. But God, I just believe today you're going to release. Forgiveness is a release of debt. Remind them, God, that God paid the pain that they caused. 
You paid it for on the cross. You didn't just die for their sins, Jesus. You died for that person who sinned against them. I pray you'd release your mom. I pray you'd release your dad. I pray you release your brother. I pray you release that spouse who left you when they shouldn't have. I pray you release your son. I pray you release your best friend. I pray you release that pastor who hurt you. That friend who you thought would stick closer than a brother. Think about that day and release them. It's not okay. They may do it again. But we're no longer going to punish them. Because God paid the penalty. I just got to be very honest. Some of you, it's very difficult for you to forgive because you've never received forgiveness. And that's what Christianity is all about. God did not come to give us a book. He didn't come to give us a religion. He came to die on a cross so that we can be forgiven. And he doesn't want you to be separated from God. That's what sin does. It separates us. So God came in the form of a man. God became a man. And then he lived a sinless and perfect life. And on the cross, he became sin. So that you and I could become the righteousness of God. And you will find it impossible to forgive until you first receive the forgiveness of heaven. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you this morning, and you want to receive the forgiveness of heaven, for those of you watching online, God's been tugging on your heart. On the count of three, would you just be willing to raise your hand? Every eye closed, every head bowed. On the count of three, one, two, three. Shoot it up. Shoot it up. I see your hand. I see your hand. You put it down. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you. That you came, not when I was at my best, when I was at my worst. You died for me, God, not when I was in church, but when I was far away. And you didn't just kind of forgive me. You forgave all my sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You completely cleaned the slate. Thank you, God, for a second chance. Thank you, God, that I can leave this place forgiven, reconciled with you, that you want to adopt me now into your family that I, I came in burdened and I came in heavy. And because of you, Jesus, I have a new family in Christ. Can we celebrate church with the hands that went up? Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.